You're listening to the Fix My Feet podcast. Solutions for every step in your journey with the nation's leading foot and ankle specialists. Welcome back, everybody, to the Fix My Feet podcast. Look who's back today is Ashley. She had her baby and she's back after maternity leave. So we're excited to have her back on the podcast today. How are you doing, Ashley? Doing well. Thanks for having me again. How's the having the baby and everything? Oh, it's great so far. Awesome. Uh, it's a bit of a, an adjustment with daycare, but otherwise it's going well. Awesome. Good. Well, today we're going to cover, I know we talk a lot about foot and ankle issues, but we're going to talk about um, some uh, a more systemic issue that's related to the foot and ankle surgery world, and that is blood clots in your leg. And for those who are maybe not as familiar with it, one of the risk factors for any kind of any surgery, but particularly lower extremity surgery, is the ability to develop a blood clot in your leg. And we review this with our patients regularly. So I thought we would talk today about uh, maybe some of the signs and symptoms and what exactly happens with that process to better educate patients that might end up going through this complication as a result of a surgery that they have. So I think the, the simplest way to start out with uh, Ashley is it, just so patients have better say what exactly is a blood clot. You know, if somebody hears that term, you know, what, what exactly I guess is going on in their, in their vein or whatever. So, yeah. So blood clot, and it's not inherently a bad thing. Like we form blood clots all the time as our body's natural way to stop bleeding. So a blood clot, pretty much, it's just the end of the process to stop bleeding. It forms kind of like a plug in the vein if like your vein was injured or something like that. Like when you get a bruise, your blood is clotting. So that way you're not going to bleed out. So it's made up of stuff that's kind of, there's something called fibrin and like a buildup also of platelets, which are like the product in your blood that you can donate and everything like that. So it's a really normal process, but that process can be increased, especially with other things that we'll talk about. Yeah, so that's perfect. So it's, it is a body's natural process. And uh, you, in, as surgery me, leads you susceptible to the formation of this. Now, sometimes you can get clots in superficial veins. So, I mean, this is going to get a little deep, but and those are usually not problematic for you. The problem is what we call deep vein thromposis. So these are veins that are deep, large veins inside the lower leg. Usually they can be inside of the upper extremity as well. but yeah, so deep vein thrombosis is mostly what we're talking about today, just for clarification. And exactly what Ashley said, it's a buildup of natural clotting factors that happen in the body. And usually these, these things happen, and the reason why surgery leaves you so susceptible to these things is uh, it's kind of a, a holy triad, not holy, I shouldn't say, but a, a triad of, uh, of things that happen so one is hypercoagulability. That means we've gone into a state, an inflammatory state where the body wants to clot, clot more. So there's a lot of things that can throw you into a hypercoagulable state. Surgery happens to be one of those things that increases inflammation within the body. So does smoking. So does taking birth control. So does being obese. I mean, there's a number of things that can cause that. We're going to talk about more about those risk factors later. But So that's one stage. Two is there's damage 
to the vessel wall or the endothelial lining of the vessel or of the vein. And so surgery definitely causes some vascular injury. It just is the nature of the beast. It causes some of that to happen. So, and then the third thing is stasis. And when we say stasis, that means not moving around. So in the lower extremity, that's particularly difficult because we're going to ask you not to move that leg, not to fire those muscles that help return that blood up out of the uh, lower leg for a period of time. And so we kind of set ourselves up into this situation where it could be a perfect environment for a blood clot to form. Now, blood clots forming in lower extremity surgery is rare. It's rare. It's a very, you know, low complication rate, but it does happen. So it's important, you know, since we talk about foot and ankle surgery on this podcast that we discuss this and try to shed some light on it. But that's kind of what sets us up for the potential to form a blood clot after a lower extremity surgery. So I know I briefly touched on some of the risk factors. I'm going to let Ashley go over those maybe more in detail, but, but not just surgery. So when we're thinking about doing a surgery on a patient, we're, we do what's called the risk stratification of looking at all their risk factors that might cause a blood clot on top of the surgery to help us better understand what the best way is to proceed with this. So Ashley, do you want to review that with some of our listeners? What are some other things that might lead you at increased risk of forming a blood clot aside from uh, just surgery? Yeah. And Dr. Waters mentioned a few of these. The big one that we always, there's a couple of big ones that we always ask our patients, especially because usually patients who want to have foot and ankle surgery are generally healthy the rest of the way with their body systemically. So we're not some of the other causes, maybe if you were a hospitalist or in a hospital setting, something like infection, some of the things that make you really sick can increase your blood clotting risk. Some people just have hereditary disorders that can increase their blood clotting risks. So some of those things we always need to make sure we do. But the big two that we always ask people is, if you smoke or use any sort of tobacco product, because that increases your risk for blood clotting for sure. And then also any kind of birth control, especially a birth control pill, but any kind of like hormonal supplement also can increase your risk. So those are the two big ones. And I'd also tack on, I guess, if there's a third one would be obesity. So someone who is morbidly obese or someone who has a very high BMI, we really should put them on a blood thinner. We'll talk about that later, but that's important because we don't want them to get a blood clot. Yeah, well said. So we're, we're screening you for those kind of risk factors and doing a stratification. You know, do you have one risk factor? Do you have two? Do you have three? Do you have four? Like, where are we at with the risk list on this in relation to the potential to possibly develop a DVT or a blood clot? So those are some of the things. Additionally, patients who are listening should know, like, if you're a female and you're taking hormonal birth control, you're at risk to form a blood clot with or without surgery. I mean, that's that's an inherent risk of the medication itself. And so I've, I've, I've had patients come in who are wondering why their leg is swelling and a female on, on birth control who's developed a DVT, no surgery involved, no anything. So surgery is just an additional one of those risk factors that we talked they about. May the other one I talk about that Ashley, and then, I'll, then Ashley has one thing to say, that I've seen is prolonged air travel is an, is another thing. So I don't know if you're going to say yeah. that just now, Ashley. I'll, then you go. You go with that. <laughs> no, so. I was just, when Dr. Waters mentioned the lady with birth control came in with a swollen leg, a lot of times 
there has to be something that maybe spurred it. So air travel is a really common one where your legs are dangling down, you're in the airplane and you're not moving around. So like usually the longer flights will be the culprit of that. But yeah, I was just going to mention that too. Yeah, longer flights, definitely the culprit. So, that, I mean, that's something I always talk to my patients about. Sometimes I'll get questions like, I just had surgery, but I want to take, uh, you know, trans-American flight, you know, four or five-hour flight. Well, then that's something we need to think about because definitely we now increase the risk of a potential of a DVT forming and what are what do we do to try and mitigate some of that risk while you take this trip. So, those are some other things. So these risk factors are things. The other one I think we should mention, and Ashley touched on this, but the most common genetic factor that causes increased uh, clotting is called factor V Leiden. And it's so, I mean, we see it a few times a year for sure. So it's not completely like very uncommon. It's, it's out there. Usually people know if they have it. I mean, occasionally somebody might not know, but Usually people know, but that is that in and of itself, if you're factor five light and you have an increased propensity to develop clots. And so that's definitely a risk factor for somebody who's thinking about lower extremity surgery with that. So anything else, Ashley, do you think we missed on kind of the risk factor kind of side of things? I'd say also people who are older and maybe aren't moving around as much, like what Dr. Waters was talking about with the stasis where after surgery you're not moving around. If you're already in that state before surgery where you're not really very mobile, your veins, your blood in your veins is sitting in there much more. You're not getting up and walking a lot. You also have a higher risk. Yeah. And I think maybe one thing we that I skipped over when I talked about kind of a little bit of the pathophysiology, the way we get blood out of our legs and back up to our heart is through veins that have valves. But the other thing that helps is the the muscles in the lower extremity pump against those veins to push that fluid back up out of the lower extremity back up to the heart. So when we ask you to not move those muscles, you know, we're creating more stasis in the lower extremity during that non-weight bearing time. So that's something we have to think about. But so that's another, you know, another reason why we get extra swelling and, and, and trying to get those things activated again. So, so yeah, that's all, that was all, I think, very well said with the risk factors. So we've talked about risk factors. If you think you might have a blood clot, Ashley, what are some of the signs and symptoms, things that would be going on with you that, that would make you maybe you know, your armed hairs would stand up and be like, ooh, I might have a little clot. What should patients kind of be looking for there? So always, if it's like one of your legs is a lot more swollen than the other. So if you've had surgery or something like that, sometimes that can be difficult because swelling is normal. So it's just usually a large amount of swelling that's abnormal. And so that's one of the things they can look for. The second thing is there's one spot in your calf or somewhere in the leg. Usually it's in the back of your calf up at the top that is really painful to touch. It won't go away with any sort of medication. It hurts all the time. And it just, you can't get relief from anything. And then some people also have like a redness in their calf. I will say that it's not not everybody has the redness or the abnormal swelling. Sometimes it's just pain or some people just have swelling. They're, they call some of these signs and symptoms like if you get an occult blood clot or something that's more hidden is because you don't have a ton of symptoms. So it's just 
the swelling is a big one, the redness and the pain. Yeah, those are the big three for sure. And, and I think, in fact, I think we just had a patient come to the office recently post-op who had had these symptoms that we're talking about. You know, your, the, the calf is more swollen uh, against the dressing. You know, if you squeeze that calf, just like Ashley said, you're going you're gonna to elicit pain in the back of that calf, even though we didn't really do anything back there. And then, you know, you can get that color change. Although, like she said, I've had plenty come in that's like, minimal swelling, but when I squeeze that calf, it's tender. You know, if I get that test when I'm examining the patient post-op, I send them right away for a test regardless. Low, very low threshold for this just to make sure we don't have something going on back there. But yeah, if, you, if, you, if you're in that case, if those are the symptoms you're experiencing, it's definitely worth a, a trip to be evaluated at the surgeon's office or if, if you haven't had surgery and something, you have some other condition risk factors at your doctor's office, and that's something you'd want to get looked at and evaluated pretty quickly. So what is the test, Ashley, so patients are aware or people listening are aware? You know, if you come in, we examine you, we have a high suspicion that there's a potential blood clot here. What is that that test just so patients know that we need to get ordered and get you over for? Yep, we'll order a venous ultrasound. So they will ultrasound all of the veins in that leg from, from your thigh, the top of your thigh, all the way down to your like ankle about just to make sure that there isn't a clot somewhere hiding in your leg. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's a pain. The nice thing is the test is not, there's no needle spokes or anything like that. You lay on the bed, they put an ultrasound on there. They're looking for those clots. You can additionally order some blood tests. You can order a D-dimer test, which is common. If you went to the uh, ER, you're probably going to get worked up with like a D-dimer. This is measuring inflammation and hypercoagulability, you know, uh, with the breakdown of blood products and things like that. But the gold standard to rule in or rule out a DVT is a venous ultrasound. And, and so that's, that's nice. It's, it's not painful. I mean, patients worry about needle pokes. There's none of that. It's just an ultrasound on the back of the leg, checking for compressibility of the veins or lack of compressibility area that might represent a, a blood clot there. So, so that's kind of, you know, you come in the office, you got the signs and symptoms we talked about. If you come in the office, we're going to order that test. We're going to want to get that test done pretty quickly so that we can understand what's going on. And then I think one thing we should cover was like, why, Ashley, why are we so serious about blood clots, about diagnosing them, about having a low threshold? Like some patients might not understand like why this is so serious, but what are some of the potential risk factors, complications that can come from a, a blood clot? Yeah. So if your blood clot stayed in your leg then we wouldn't probably be as worried. It's still not good to have your vein being plugged. So we'd still want to like fix that. But what can happen is that these clots can travel upwards. Like we were saying, the blood from your veins and your lower legs are going up towards your heart. So that, that clot that you formed, if all of a sudden you somehow work it loose and it shoots upwards, it can go up not only to your area of your heart, but really what happens is it gets trapped in your lungs. And so then you'd start to develop something called pulmonary emboli or all these little clots that get stuck in the very, very tiny vessels 
of your lungs. And so that's a very scary condition because people die from that. And so we do not want that to happen, want any blood clots to travel. So usually if we catch it in the leg, we start treating it, then we don't have to worry. It's going to start traveling up to the lungs. Exactly. Sometimes these are called the silent killers. So, so it is, we have a very low threshold for this. And for that very reason, we want to catch it early and get it treated. So what is, I mean, we talked about, we kind of bridged into treatment, but what is actually like you come into the office, we send you for ultrasound, they call us, they say we've got a positive DVT. Like what, what is that treatment process then like for the patient? It would depend on the office. So for us, we don't manage long-term medication. So we will, you will need to be on some sort of therapeutic blood thinner. So a lot of times we'll give like people a higher risk, a blood thinner before surgery, but usually it's just a low dose to help try to prevent blood clots. But if you actually have a blood clot, it's a higher dose. It can be any of the blood thinners. It just has to be a full dose. So that way that blood clot can be broken up. And then, so in our, in our office, we may give the patient a couple of days or weeks just to make sure they can get to their primary care. And then the primary care physician usually takes over. And then I believe they do an ultrasound at about six months or so to see if that blood clot is gone. And then if it is, then they will take you off the blood thinner. Yeah. So, uh, we don't treat these with like a thromboembolic agent, you know, like they do like in your brain. Like if you get a clot in your brain, you have a stroke, they treat you with a TPA or a thromboembolic. We don't do that. So we're not technically dissolving the clot, but we put you on blood thinner and we do monitor that. Like Ashley said, six months is usually the gold standard for an initial, you know, blood clot. If you just had one DVT, you know, it's just the kind of the initial but you're going to be managed long-term by a usually primary care physician for your anticoagulation. There are quite a few anticoagulants on the market now. The The gold standard has always been warfarin. So I think most people that are on long-term anticoagulation for any number of various events, you know, warfarin is kind of, it's been there for a long time. It's cheap. You know, it does have to be monitored. I think that's the downside of warfarin. But more and more, we're getting other shorter acting agents on the market. Lovenox or uh, what's a, I'm trying to think Eloquist. of the generic oh, term. for Sorry. Of Lovenox. Lov- Lovenox is there. It's an injection you give into your belly. It's short acting. And then they've got all the oral agents. Ashley, like you said, Eloquist. What are some of those other oral agents that are on the market Eloquist, now? Eloquist, Seralto are yeah. the two big ones. There's a few those others. Those are the two big ones. But So there are some other options if you don't want to you know, be monitored as much or if you don't want to have injections in the belly as much. Some of those newer oral agents are not quite into the generic stage. So you might end up paying a premium to have anticoagulation managed that way. But that is the gold standard for treatment. And then, you know, if it's just one event and you get over that six months and things are good, a lot of times you can come off of them. If you've had multiple clots, generally then that is a, you know, you're going to probably be on some kind of anticoagulation for the majority of your life or it could be the rest of your life depending on who's managing that. So we certainly don't do that. So I'm not going to get too detailed into the management of that because that that is not, our deal, but that's just to give you an idea. That's what you're, you'd be looking at 
with the development of a DVT as far as the treatment side. Let's flip the script and talk about the prevention side a little bit because I think we kind of missed that on the on the front end. You want to have surgery. You, we go through risk stratification. What is uh, what is kind of prevention strategy, Ashley, for us for DVTs with lower extremity surgery? Like Dr. Water said, is we really, since this is something we don't want to occur, usually if you have an added risk factor like smoking or you're on birth control or something like that, we will have the patient usually take a low-dose blood thinner and we'll usually do Xeralto just because it is oral and it's easier to take and everything. But usually if insurance doesn't cover, then we'll do Lovenox daily. And that's all while you're non-weight bearing on the lower leg. So if you're having surgery and you'll be weight bearing, or even if you're non-weight bearing and you don't have any of those extra risk factors, then we usually put patients on a big aspirin and aspirin 325 to help thin the blood a little bit, but maybe not an actual full on blood thinner. Yeah, and that's exactly the point. I do want to specify that there are no recommendations right now for lower extremity DVT prevention. So depending on who you go to for your surgery, you may have a little bit different protocol. Or some people, you may only get blood thinner if you are in a high-risk category. That's another thing. So there is no exact indications or recommendations right now. But for us, we do put, I think, universally everybody on aspirin 325. And uh, you could also, I, there's offices I know that do aspirin 81 BID. So that, that would be another thing. And then if there's more risk factors, we we usually hedge our bets into an actual pharmacologic blood thinner, like we talked about, Lovenox, Zeralto, um, Eliquis, Plavix, you know, the number of things that are on the market right now. So that's kind of on the prevention side. So if you're, if you, if that's where you are, you're listening to this podcast, getting ready to have surgery, that's a discussion to have with your surgeon and his team, his or her team about, you know, what we're going to do for DVT prevention or prophylaxis. So, so that, that's on that side. I don't know. I think we've covered almost everything that I had written down. I think the big thing for me takeaways, like if somebody's listening to, like, we're nobody's trying to scare you when we talk about DVTs. They are, they are a risk factor. They do occur. It's very low. You know, we try to prophylax and prevent them, but more just want you to be educated about, you know, what are some of the signs and symptoms and what might the process look like so that you can feel more comfortable, you know, with the process as as things move forward for you. So, Ashley, any other takeaways that you have about DVTs or anything? No, I think I just tell people every time that we say, okay, we're going to get an ultrasound. And I just say, if it is a DVT, it's okay. We can take care of it, but it's better to find out than to find out way yeah. later down the line. So, yep, it's always better to check. Beautiful. Yeah, so be aware, be educated, make smart decisions. And until next week, we appreciate Ashley being back. She'll be back with us more often. Got lots of exciting. I know we, we uh, Dr. Leonard and I did a section on flat foot. We're going to dive more into flat foot, the surgical side of things coming up here in the future weeks. Just FYI for anybody missing Dr. Leonard's today, 
his wife just had a baby too. So we got lots of babies coming around our family here. So we're excited about that. But until next time, check us out on social media, Facebook, Instagram. We're on TikTok. You can check us out, Platte River Foot and Ankle Surgeons. Or the one for the podcast is Fix My Feet Podcast. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Fix My Feet Podcast. To schedule an appointment with one of our providers, visit www.prfootandankle.com.